Hi, everyone. This is the Crime Cafe, your podcasting source of great crime, suspense, and thriller writing. I'm your host, Debbie Mack. And before I bring on my guest, may I remind you, like you have a choice, that the Crime Cafe nine book set and Crime Cafe short story anthology are available for sale on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Kobo, Apple, etc., etc. You can find the buy links on my website, debbiemack.com. And also, we have a Patreon campaign. If you make a $10 monthly donation, you will get access to a lot of really great content short stories, and a free copy of our Crime Cafe nine book set. That's nine novels for free. So consider it, please. And you'll get our endless gratitude as well. <laughs> okay, having said that, it's my pleasure to introduce my guest, a Mississippi native, a Marine, a journalist, and speechwriter, as well as the author of four novels, Philip Thompson. Hi, Philip. It's great to have you on. Thanks for being here. Hey, Debbie. Thanks for inviting me. Sure thing. Um, there is so much I could ask you because you've done so many fascinating things, but let's talk about your crime writing. Okay. Um, your first novel was Enemy Within. Tell us about the story and that protagonist. Um, <clears throat> sure. That, uh, that novel seems completely old now. Uh, I wrote it uh, in the late 90s. Um, and the protagonist is a, a ATF agent named Wade Stewart um, who's investigating uh, a white militia who is um, plotting to overthrow the governor of the state of Mississippi um, and also has a gun smuggling operation going. And Stewart, who um, is investigating this, kind of runs into a, a moral, not a moral dilemma, but he starts to challenge his own thinking about uh, the government that he works for, the government that he served, um, and how that clashes with individual freedoms. Um, and when I wrote it at the time, it was precipitated by something that, uh, an incident that I ran across when I was on active duty, and it made me start to think about, you know, what would, what would really happen if, um, you know, Americans were confronted with um, individual freedoms, especially with, with gun rights? And this goes back, you know, 20 years. Back then, it sort of seemed implausible, if you will. Um, but 20 years later, it seems a little bit more relevant now than it did even back then. Mm. Yes, absolutely. It seems like a very timely issue. I, I thought it was then. It wasn't so much then, but I, but I think, um, you know, years later. You were ahead of your time. <laughs> apparently it was, yeah. Well, I think that's a very intriguing um, premise and it, I actually bought a copy of the story. Oh, okay. Uh, so I'm looking forward to reading it. Thanks. Definitely. Um, on your blog, you mentioned that you tried to turn it into a screenplay, or did you turn it into a screenplay? Well, I have a draft. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I'm, not a, I'm not necessarily a screenwriter. Um, I did teach myself how to write screenplays. Um, a few years ago, and I, I had this grand idea, oh, I'll just turn my first novel into a screenplay. 
which is a lot, lot harder than it sounds. It's a completely different form. Screenwriting is uh, you got 120 pages and you have to, there are rules that you need to comply with. Um, so I have a draft, but it's, it's very rough. Um, and I'm, I don't think it's quite ready for prime time yet. My sympathies are with you. I know what it's like to, to try to adapt one's own novel because I've done right. it. Right, you're and a screenwriter of yourself. It's very, very tough. And I, I didn't think I was going to be able to do it, actually. The person who asked me, the producer, said, um, I think you can. Go right ahead. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> it's tough. It's really, really tough. Um, now, you have a second book with that protagonist. Uh, tell us a little about that. The, the ATF agent uh, left the agency and goes to Oahu? Uh, he did. Yes, that's the setup of the story. Um, uh, the way the first novel ended, um, he had resigned from the ATF and just decided to, to go to Hawaii um, and get away from get away from his former life and just sort of take some time off and um, got a job, well, sort of a job, freelancing for the newspaper there on Oahu. And in the process of that comes across um, yet another homegrown um, domestic terrorist um, problem, uh, which that novel concerned itself with the um, Hawaiian sovereignty movement that um, has been going on out in Hawaii. Now, let me be very clear here. It was, it was fiction. It was a novel. Um, nobody on Oahu, as far as I know, is contemplating that kind of thing. But I, I took the idea of, you know, the, the, the Hawaiian sovereignty movement um, as compared to the United States of America. I used to live in Hawaii. I was there for four years. Mm -hmm. uh, when, I, when I lived there, I couldn't help but, but be absorbed by the culture, studied it, and, and came to realize that, hey, there is an issue um, here with the way that Hawaii became a state. And most of us today don't even remember or don't realize how that happened. You know, Hawaii was a, was a separate governing kingdom at one point, And then it was annexed by the United States um, through a series of political and, and, and cultural events that happened. Um, and there's still a lot of resentment, you know, within some of the Hawaiian culture toward the United States. So I took all that and said, okay, what would happen if uh, somebody was murdered aboard um, a Marine Corps base. You know, it's a, a United States federal property. Uh, and then you, you take that and you throw in the politics of a sovereignty movement, you know, and then what happens. Um, and, you know, during the process of, of investigating this murder and trying to find out uh, what happened, Wade finds himself, you know, being a, being a former Marine himself, being a man who believes in um, justice for all, people, um, all these different moralities start to clash for him. Um, and he's, he's aided in his investigation by a woman who, an ATF agent, who was sent from D.C. to basically clamp him down. They realize that we've got this, this former agent out there who caused us problems before, and now he's doing it again. So they send a hotshot out to Hawaii to kind of keep an eye on him, and she start, starts to see his point of view as well. Hmm. Uh, and in the end, they, um, you know, they, 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 they stopped the plot and that book, I had to, I actually self-published that book because I'd written it and I was working with an agent in New York and uh, she liked it and we were working back and forth with it. But then September the 11th happened 
And there's a scene in that book, it's called A Simple Murder. There's a scene in that book that after September the 11th, you know, we, she and I both agreed, nobody, nobody wants to read this, nobody wants to touch it. So I just laid the book down for about six years and I didn't do anything with it. Uh, and so then I, eventually I, I published it myself. Um, but that book to me is important because that was the last book that I wrote with Wade Stewart as a protagonist, but it was the first one with Molly McDonough, um, who ends up kind of jumping universes into my last two novels. Yes, yes. <laughs> wow, you really have me intrigued. I've got to read all these books now. <laughs> oh, definitely. I mean, your work sounds fascinating. Um, all the stuff with jurisdictional issues and um, sovereignty, that kind of, you know, resonates with me as a lawyer, <laughs> not to mention as a crime writer. Right, right. Yeah. Um, that kind of stuff really is intriguing. Um, so, so one of your characters in that book has been transplanted over into the series with um, Cold Harper. Correct. Does she appear in the first book in that series? Uh, no, she doesn't. Uh, she shows up in the second one, in the one that I'm writing now. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I was, I had these characters that, as you know, they, they stay in your head a long time. And mm -hmm. I wrote uh, the first Colt Harper novel, Deep Blood, which is kind of a, and I wanted a new universe. Because um, I started out writing 20, 25 years ago, um, thinking that, oh, I can write these kind of, you know, um, male thriller type um, novels that you know guys like and and I, and I was able to write them but the whole time I, I was it didn't quite resonate exactly the way I wanted to um, and you know I took some time off from writing and, and went into a creative writing class down here to community college um, to learn to craft a little bit more to just sort of okay just to stop trying to create this stuff and let's learn some craft um, and honed that craft. And what I did, um, one of the authors that I was reading at the time was uh, Larry Brown, who's a native Mississippian and just a just an unbelievable writer, or was anyway, unfortunately he's passed. Um, and he fundamentally, reading his work fundamentally changed the way I, I approach writing. So I said, I want to write this kind of, of Southern, uh, Southern fiction, but I like crime. So I'm always going to be a crime writer. So I went back to that. So the first, the first Cold Harper novel was Deep Blood, um, which is a character study as well as, you know, as much as it is a crime fiction novel, the, you know, the, the publisher kind of called it Redneck Noir when he read it. And I kind of liked that phrase and kind of stuck with it. Um, that's kind of the way I, I see my writing. Uh, but the first one was Deep Blood, and, and, and that's where I introduced Cold Harper and a, and a new cast of characters. Um, that just would not leave me alone. So I wrote the second one, which is Outside the Law. That's the one that's out now. Uh, that one was uh, published by Brash Books. Hmm. Uh, just out of curiosity, you mentioned Redneck Noir. Um, have you ever read Daniel Woodrell? Uh, I know the name and I've seen his books, but I've not picked him up yet. You should. Um, right. Tomato Red is the one I've read by him, and I really loved it. And I think it definitely qualifies. <laughs> <laughs> right, I think you'd enjoy it. Right. Uh, Joe Lansdale? Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
have read some of his? I love his work. Yeah, very good. And and kind of you know right in those lanes of, of what I'm what I try to do. You know, keep it keep it local, um, and keep it you know gritty. Um, Grant Jerkins is another one that does a great job with that. Um, Tom Franklin's got a couple of books that I would put in that category. Um, Steve Yarborough, when I read Oxygen Man uh, by Steve Yarborough, I thought that was just just brilliant because it was very local. There were probably three or four characters, um, and it was um, you know, it was it was gritty and it was um, it was real. The characters were all real, but they didn't lose none of them. You know, lost their dignity. They were they were you know hard scrap people, but they didn't they didn't come across as a stereotype. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, do you like William Faulkner? Speaking of Southern writers. Well, this is the part where I have to say, because I'm from Mississippi, of course I like William Faulkner. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I've read a lot of his stuff, but it's very difficult for me to, to sit down and read a, a Faulkner novel. Um, I do like read. I, I've always loved reading his short stories um, and learned a lot uh, from reading that. That was kind of, William Faulkner was kind of, um, thrown at me when I went to I went to Breadloaf uh, a few years ago, the Breadloaf Writers Conference, and I took a short story um, that eventually became the novel Deep Blood. But as I was getting critiqued at at, uh, at Breadloaf, one of my instructors just happened to be Tom Franklin, who was at the time was the writer in residence at Ole Miss. You know, so I go all the way to Vermont, thinking I'm going to be unique with this Southern story, and you know, I get thus thus these southern story writer i kind of you gotta be kidding me really i can't get one break here um but he suggested that you know you ought to take this short story and then go back and read william faulkner i'm like seriously do i have to read william faulkner um but yeah i i i can't say that i'm terribly influenced by by his writing because it's just so damn difficult but uh yeah i do enjoy his short stories mm-hmm yeah, I think short story, anybody who can write short stories amazes me. I mean, I, I've done a few and yeah. I'm always amazed when they manage to pull it off. <laughs> yeah, I, I would rather just sit, honestly sit down and write a novel. Um, you have more room. If he had more time, he would write short stories, which is kind of how I feel about it. Exactly, exactly right. Um, let's see. Uh, do you, where do you picture going with um, your current series? Do you see that going to a third or fourth book? Uh, I'm currently writing the third. Um, I'm almost finished with the first edit of it. Um, so yeah, when I, when I finished Outside the Law, um, I kind of left it open-ended intentionally, not because necessarily I, I knew I was going to write a, another one, the third one, um, but I left it open-ended because I wasn't really sure what was going to happen with the characters when I took my hands off the keyboard and said, okay, that one's done. I want to take, I just want to take a step back and see if Colt and John and Rhonda and, and everybody else, you know, if they leave me alone or if they, they come back and say, Hey, I got some more, I got some more stuff to talk about. It turns out they did. Um, so I'm writing that one now, but, um, yeah, it's, I, I'm not done with the characters yet. I kind of like putting these guys in situations and then seeing what happens to them and see how they react to it. So I think I've still got uh, a few more things to say with them. That's excellent. Yeah, because uh, 
it's definitely I, I like the book a lot i'm reading uh, your your second now and enjoying it very much thanks where do you see molly going just out of curiosity because she's such an interesting character <laughs> everybody always asks about molly um, <laughs> Well, she shows up, I don't want to give too much away, but she, she does come back in the, in the one that I'm writing now. Um, you know, the, the working title is Dangerous Conceits. I don't know if that will survive the publishing process or the editing process, but that's the working title. Um, and yeah, she comes back. Um, and she has been kind of interesting to me. It's very hard for me to, to, to write a female character. Um, kind of hard to get into a female's head as far as, I'm, you know, for me, obviously. Um, but I've enjoyed, you know, putting Molly in a situation and seeing what happens to her. Um, I, I didn't want to, you know, there's right now, I think anyway, there's a, there's a trend, especially on TV and in the movies to have either, you know, um, a female protagonist with a gun or uh, a female uh, sidekick. Well, it goes back as far as the, you know, as far as the X-Files with Mulder and Scully, but you got, you know, you watch Longmire and he's got a female deputy and you watch um, some of the other TV or Broadchurch, you know, the great BBC series, um, it's a man and a woman. Um, and a lot of the shows are a man and a woman. Um, but I wanted Molly to, to have her own identity. And I hope I've done that. You know, I didn't want her to be um, restricted to somebody else's identity. Okay, well, um... I'm glad to hear that you're looking to create a strong independent woman <laughs> and one who is actually a person as opposed to just kind of an addition right. to the protagonist's life. Yeah. Right. More than a sidekick. More than a sidekick. Exactly. And you know, that's what they're looking for these days. I mean, in terms of like motion pictures anyway, and television, right. but um, it never hurts in books either. Um, You've also written a book called Into the Storm. Was that, that was based on your experiences as a soldier? Uh, as a Marine, yes. As a Marine. Um, a nonfiction book that I wrote when, um, probably within a couple of years after coming back from Desert Storm. Mm. And was it entirely based on your journals? Uh, yeah, it was. I, um, of course, I kept a journal in college for a few years in, in while I was in, in the Marine Corps. Um, and I'd stopped because I was at, at school for almost a year in Oklahoma. When uh, we found out that we were going to deploy to Saudi Arabia, though, I, I grabbed a, a notebook and started just scribbling down notes. And I ended up keeping that with me in my cargo uh, pocket the whole eight months that I was gone. I just took notes every day. Um, and, you know, and a lot of times it was <clears throat> just to vent some anger or just to kind of keep up with stuff so that I could remember it you know, whenever I look back at it again. Uh, and when I got home, I had three notebooks full of uh, notes and maps that I'd drawn, just, you know, all kinds of stuff that you, you keep up with when you're, when you do, when you have a lot of time sitting around with nothing to do but write. And at the time I noticed that um, there were a lot of coffee table books out about the war, you know, big pictures and airplanes and bombs and and things like that, but nobody had had really written anything that accounted for um, just the individual guy on the ground. So I, I, I wrote the, it wasn't a complete replication of my, my journals. I took selected entries and I 
kind of put some context behind them. So you'd read the entry and then you'd read the context behind it um, and put that all together. And McFarland and Company down in North Carolina decided to publish it. Well, that's fantastic. And I ha absolutely have to read it because stuff like that really intrigues me. And I think really everybody should read things like that to get an understanding of what it's like to actually go through those kinds of experiences. Right. And that was, that was the only real reason I wrote it because I, you know, I, of course, I obviously missed it all because I was, I was there. But when I came home, I'd seen that most of, most people thought they had already, they knew everything about it and seen everything about it because it was all on CNN, which still a relatively new way to get your news in a 24 hour news cycle back in 1990. Um, and I, and I kept running into people and said, oh yeah, 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 we saw that all on TV. Well, you know, you saw, you saw what the media showed you and the media showed you what the military let them. And you know, underneath all that were, were these individual stories of guys who were just trying to get through another day out there in the desert. Yes, yes, the, the story that you don't see on the news. Right, exactly. The personal story. Right. And um, that's very important. Um, I think uh, that's about it then. Uh, is there anything you'd like to add before we wrap up? Um, no, not really. I mean, I, I always, always love to get a chance to talk with another writer about writing, so I appreciate the chance to come on the podcast. Well, same here. <laughs> you know, just uh, keep reading, keep writing. Well, thank you, and um, you do the same. Thanks, will do. Awesome. Well, it was great having you on, and um, I'm so happy you could be here. And uh, to all my listeners, I'd just like to say uh, thank you for listening, and check out the Crime Cafe publications on my website, debbiemack.com, and um, consider supporting the Patreon campaign, where you can get access to all sorts of fr new free content. And with that, I will simply say thanks again and talk to you in two weeks.